Good morning. I want to welcome you again to our online worship here at South Suburban Christian Church. My name is Pastor Ike Nichols. I'm the senior pastor. I just want to thank you so much for your prayers and uh, your encouragement. Uh, thank you for praying for our staff, our elders, our governing board as we navigate these uncertain times. Uh, thus far in the life of our church, we've had seven folks uh, who are active in our congregation who have tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, we record this on Tuesday, and uh, so we have some folks who are involved in the fight as uh, we speak, and uh, we are prayerfully uh, hoping that God will, will pour out His healing power uh, into their lives and, and uh, for all of those across the world who are suffering uh, for the, from this virus. Um, as a matter of fact, this week our staff had a simulation uh, to kind of work through what would happen if we were having in-person worship, uh, how we would handle it if uh, some folks uh, had been diagnosed positive and we had discovered that a few days after worship. As a matter of fact, one of those who uh, tested positive is one of our staff. And so this staff person would have been here and and so everybody who was here would have been exposed to some degree to the virus. And so it was, a, it was an opportunity for the staff to go through this simulation. Uh, how would we handle these protocols? What would we do uh, if we found out several days after uh, that someone had tested positive? To, so, so, so we took the opportunity. We ran through uh, the requirements uh, for contact tracing. Uh, getting notifications out to everyone who have, would have been in attendance uh, to the service, uh, designating who would uh, be the contact person for the Tri-County Health Department, uh, who would be engaging with the folks who had been attendance in our service, uh, uh, the, the walking through the mandatory closing of our campus and facility uh, for 72 hours, which is set forth by the CDC and, and, and the state of Colorado, and, and seeing how those procedures would impact other ministries uh, in our church and, and the weekly tasks that we have, like this recording that we're doing right now. Uh, if we had been having in-person worship a couple weeks ago, we wouldn't be in the facility in the midweek to do this recording. And we were trying to figure out, well, how would we get this, uh, this program to you on Sunday morning? And so it was an opportunity for us to, 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 to go through the simulation, to discover uh, what we would have access to and what we would not have access to, uh, how, uh, well, just simply to think deeply about how we can limit the disruption of other ministries when we do return to in-person worship. And even with the idea that if we had been doing in-person worship and we had these cases, we would actually be shutting in-person worship back down again. And so there's a lot of complexity in all of this. And and I know, just like you, we all are looking forward to gathering again, praying for this virus to come to an end. But we want to ensure you that we, we are trying to do what is safe for everyone, for our staff, for our volunteers, for folks who will come to this place to worship and serve and, and, and be deployed for the sake of the glory of God. When it comes to what is most important uh, as we seek to do ministry from this campus, what is most important is the health of, of everyone who is here. And so thank you for your patience. I, I know it, it is sometimes 
uh, a lot of labor to think about, well, where are we going? What are we going to do? But, but we do have folks who are actively working on this, and, and we appreciate your support. We appreciate your prayers, and, and we share in your frustration as well. But, but from my heart to you, thank you so much for all that you're doing here. Our text today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 and reading through verse 23, just 10 verses. One of my favorite passages in the Gospel of Matthew, this this text. So if you found uh, the, the text in your Bible, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed art you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on human things. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Like I said to you earlier, I think that this is one of the most fascinating passages in the Gospel of Matthew. As a matter of fact, I think I could do a whole series of sermons just on this text alone. When Jesus begins this conversation, uh, it's not a conversation between him and Peter. It's a conversation between him and all of his disciples. And yet, eventually, it turns into a conversation just between Jesus and Peter. And for those of us who have uh, read a a, a good number of the stories in the Gospels, uh, the, 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 the times that Peter always inserts his opinion and opens his mouth, sometimes want it, most of the time not want it, is certainly significant. We know Peter is the one who is most likely to stick his foot in his mouth. And Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, if we were reading this sentence uh, in the original language, which is Greek, we would probably chuckle a little bit. It's actually the way it's phrased in the original language leads to an idea that in some degree is humorous. You see, the New Testament is written in Greek, and Greek is a very specific language, much more specific than English is. 
In English, when we want to draw a particular meaning or a nuance to a word, we generally use a voice inflection to do that. So, for example, we might say, who do people say that I am? That tells us that our emphasis is on what other people are saying. Or, or we might say, who do people say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? But in Greek, they actually have different words that aren't as dependent on voice inflection or context. And although those things can be important when we're reading uh, the text in its original language, uh, the actual different words in Greek uh, tell us what exactly is going on. And sometimes that doesn't fully convey in the translation to the English. Well, let me try to, to help us think this through about what is Jesus really talking about when he's asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? What does he mean when he says, say that I am? Well, you've probably heard these phrases before. Things like, well, you, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Or one of my favorites, you can't take out of a person's head with reason what reason did not put there to begin with. Or a phrase my grandmother would always say, now honey, a watched pot never boils. Or another phrase that uh, is an expression of eternal truth, truth sometimes we don't like to hear. People generally shape their truth to what they believe rather than shaping what they believe to the truth. You see, all of these things are popular sayings. Things that, quote, everyone says. Things you might read on the internet. Or in today's world, things that you might make a meme of. You know, those quippy little quotes that sometimes are attached to a photograph or a picture that you see on social media. You know, those things that are intended to change everyone's mind and make us laugh or infuriate us. Perhaps if Jesus were living today... He might say to his disciples, so what are the memes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok that folks are saying about me today? Or for those of us who might want to approach this from a more analytical perspective, Jesus might be saying, so how am I trending today? You know, there's a whole industry in today's world called market research. Helps us see how things are trending generationally, based on demographics, age, gender, ethnicity, in specific markets. Like, I wonder how urban voters are going to vote or how rural voters are going to vote. Or what Im uh, opinions are important that, well, every savvy politician needs to be talking about, regardless of whether or not the issue is truly significant. But whether or not the public, <laughs> people like me and you, think it's significant this week i mean after all this is an election year it's our press uh, our social media platforms everywhere is filled with this we have politicians paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to companies to tell them what they need to be talking about every day and you know sometimes as frustrating as that can be it can actually be productive it can tell us things that we weren't sure about. It can set the tone for follow-up questions or actions that we should be doing. I mean, these things are important to everyday life. 
Important how we have conversations, the kind of discussions we have with our friends and our neighbors. An example. This past week, our children's pastor, Debbie Donay, gave a fabulous devotion at our staff meeting. In her devotion, she mentioned some statistics that both point to some good news and they also reveal to us a problem. It was a survey that was done by the International Network of Children's Ministries, and in it, it was uh, surveying millennial parents. Now, millennials are folks who are born sometime between the year 1980 or 1994. You might want to argue about that, but that's generally the age. So these millennials who are parents, that is, they have children of their own now. And the survey asked these millennial parents, uh, is it important that your children grow to know, to love, and serve Jesus? 92% of them answered with a, quote, enthusiastic yes. That's, that's important. That's good information to have. That's exciting, actually, to know that our millennial parents are hungry for God's Word. They, they want to pass uh, God's Word on to their children. That same study also asked how often folks included daily Bible reading in their everyday activities. And of those same group of millennial parents, only about 30% of them included regular Bible study as a family tradition or something their family does. But still, it's good information. It tells us uh, what well, us meaning the church, it tells us what we need to be doing or at least how we need to be thinking about how to support and encourage our millennial families as they are seriously trying to raise their children in the faith. <laughs> in many ways, this is what Jesus is asking. He's asking his disciples, so how am I trending today? That's what that word, who do people say that I am. That, that, that's what that word say could actually be translated. What is the popular sayings? What are folks popularly saying about me today? And the disciples answer his question. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Well, you remember him. The guy who had his head cut off by the king because he had the audacity to speak truth to power. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead with a new head. Others say you're Elijah, this guy who was whisked off in a fiery chariot, taken to heaven itself, this same prophet who loved to live in the wilderness and would always bristle when God called him to do a miracle or to heal somebody who wasn't a Jew. Some say that you're Jeremiah. Oh, I'll tell you, that old Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was alive, he was in Jerusalem. The Babylonian army had surrounded the cities, city. They were about to breach the walls and carry all of the Jews off into slavery. And in the midst of this imminent disaster, Jeremiah buys some property in Jerusalem. Uh, he was a hero. I guess you're Jeremiah, the guy who's come back to claim ownership of the title that he had purchased to throw the Romans off of your land and reclaim your land for the sake of the nation of Israel. You know, in some ways, I don't think this was a somber interchange between Jesus and his disciples. I think that I think there was some laughter, some poking fun, and yet at the same time, there was probably some grief. 
Isn't that how we process grief sometimes? Through, through laughter, through poking fun at things? I think Jesus is grieving somewhat at what everyone is saying. And even though grief is sometimes best expressed through humor, Jesus sort of brings a whole new feeling to the room when He asks the next question. I mean, it just takes the air completely out of the room. And who do you say that I am? It's that same word, say. What is the popular wisdom that you would use? What is the meme that you would make? Maybe Jesus could say it this way. Hey, fellas, if you were going to download the Meme Maker app on your smartphone or your tablet computer, what would your meme say about me? Now, now for those of us who, who may not completely understand all of that, maybe we could look at other avenues that we have delivered quippy little quotes of wisdom. Bumper stickers. Things like, Jesus is my co-pilot. <laughs> or my favorite answer to that bumper sticker, if Jesus is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. Or one of my favorites that I just saw the other day, do you follow Jesus this close? Or the one that I always am intrigued at seeing when I walk into a place of business. In God we trust, everyone else pays cash. Now when Jesus asked what other folks were saying, the text says, they answered. But when Jesus asked, what do you say? No one answers. Isn't that interesting? And it's something that all of us see in our own lives. If you want to know what everybody else is saying, all the crazy ideas and the foolish ideas that everybody else is saying, I'll be glad to tell you how nuts everyone else is. But when I have to tell you what's in my heart, what's in my mind, what I'm staking my life on, well, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when suddenly it's no longer a laughing matter. It's serious business. Well, maybe it's not exactly true that no one said anything because one person did say something. Peter. And none of us are surprised that it's Peter that's saying this. But this moment, Peter answers courageously. Some might say foolishly, but regardless, he gets to the point. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, my goodness. I mean, even that phrase, as short as it is, is packed with meaning. I mean, what do, what do you mean when you say Christ or Messiah, which is what the word Christ means. Well, God is living. Well, yeah, I guess, but what does that mean? God has a son? For the contemporaries of Peter, Peter's neighbors, you might say, if, if, if they were gathered around listening to this exchange, I don't know what they would have thought. Well, actually, I do have some ideas of what they would have thought. They when they heard Peter say that Jesus is the Messiah, they would have said, now wait a minute, Peter. 
the religious leaders have told us what we ought to be expecting with the Messiah, and I haven't seen all of those things yet, regardless of what the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament says about the Messiah. There was a popular understanding of what the Messiah should be doing. They probably wouldn't have been upset with the living God phrase. Uh, that's an important part of, of the identity of God's people, that God is a living God. He's not made of stone or wood. He's not somebody who uh, is uh, silent or is not active in, his, in the life of His people. God is living son of the living God now that would have been a big issue uh, Peter would have probably have been met with hurling rocks as his friends and his neighbors accused him of heresy or or of uh, uh, of profaning the name of God suggesting that God has a son you see in the midst of this conversation where we are doing both market research and to some degree making fun of trending on the internet, there's some soberness that is brought into the moment with Peter's answer. Jesus isn't just one of the prophets of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus hasn't come back to thrash the Romans. Jesus has come to defeat sin and death. Jesus isn't angry with the human race and has come to pour out His divine punishment. Quite the contrary. Jesus loves the human race and has come to repair the relationship and overcome our rebellion by His love. Jesus hasn't come to take someone else's property. Jesus is reclaiming His property and bringing His kingdom with Him. Jesus' response to Peter's declaration is nothing more than, well, divine. Because Jesus says to Peter, Blessed art you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, now I know there's more in what he said, but I just want to start with that. Just that phrase as we begin. We'll, we'll come to the rest of that maybe some other day. But flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. One of my favorite devotional writers is a guy named Andrew Murray. Murray was a 19th century Scottish missionary from the Dutch Reformed Church, of which my mother's side of the family were adherents. The Dutch Reformed Church really isn't around anymore these days, uh, but they were a church that, that believed that the full mission that the primary mission of the church was to proclaim the gospel to those who had not heard it. They were a missionary-focused church. I remember sitting around listening to my grandparents tell stories of family members in that church. Andrew Murray, a pastor in that church, writes this, You are not under the law with its inexorable due, but under grace with its blessed belief and what Christ has done in you and for you. And if the question be asked, but surely there is something for us to do, the answer is, our doing and working are but the fruit of Christ's work in us. And I might add, and for us, and through us. 
You, Murray says, you are required to simply offer yourself to Christ, looking and resting on what Christ is doing. And in that, our energies are stirred to their highest activity and that we work most effectively because we know that He works in us. You see, I think this is what Peter realized. I think what Peter saw is that it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. It was a revelation for Peter. What was important was who Jesus is, where Jesus came from, and what it is Jesus had come to do. What Peter was declaring is that all of his meaning, all of his identity, all of his life was rooted in Jesus. In many ways, I think that's one of the gifts the church can give to believers who are struggling with this. It's not something you or I do to earn God's love. God loves us because He created us. And it's what God does through us and for us and in us for the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, God is working in your life. Will you surrender to Him today? Andrew Murray has another really good statement that I love. It is not the yoke, but the resistance to the yoke that makes the difficulty. The wholehearted surrender to Jesus as at once our master and our keeper finds and secures our rest. You know, I think I like that one so much I might make a meme of it. Seriously. When Peter declares what he believes... He's declaring his creed. That's what the word creed means. It comes from the Latin credo, meaning I believe. Jesus is asking you today, do you believe in who I am, where I've come from, and what I've come to do? Would you do me a favor? Just sit back wherever you are. Close your eyes. And breathe. And within your hearts, say these words. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is that the way it is with you in this moment? Is that what you experience today? Would you be able to join your voice with Peter, with all of the Christians throughout the ages, with our team today and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept Him today as my Lord and Savior. If those are your words today, would you let us know? If you're on our online.church platform watching this service, would you click on the box now? 
that I commit my life to Jesus Christ and fill out the contact card. If you're on one of our other platforms, would you email us at office at southsuburban.com? Let us know how we can join together. We want so much to, to, to bring you together with us in, in, in some way in this crazy world with COVID-19, perhaps in a, in a Zoom call, or, or some way to take a first step with you, to encourage you and to invite us together uh, as we begin walking in this Christian faith, as we share our gifts with one another, as we live our lives and serve for the glory of God and that the gospel may be proclaimed. We so much want to celebrate with you. Thank you so much for making this statement. Maybe you're somebody who has made this statement again for the first time. You're rededicating your life to Christ today. Would you let us know? Would you give us your contact information so we can encourage you and walk with you as well, if the Spirit leads? I pray that today is the beginning of a new life as we stand together with Peter and say to Jesus, this is who we say you are. You are the Christ you are the Son of the living God. You are our only hope. You are our everything. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, for those who are beginning their life anew today in the faith, we celebrate with all of the angels and all of the saints. We pray, merciful God, that as we live and serve and study together, we will grow in strength and wisdom and be able to, in all that we do, that you do through us, bring glory to your name. For those who are rededicating their life, Father, we give you praise. And we look forward to the work your Spirit is doing in the lives of each of us. That the church may continue to lift up the message of hope, a message of peace, a message of reconciliation, a message of victory in Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.